today we're going to be talking about, um, you know, we've been building, you know, through these now it's been eight months and talking about emotional sobriety and just looking at it from this perspective that I wrote about in my new book, 12 Essential Insights for Emotional Sobriety. But what has to happen as we develop a practice that leads to emotional sobriety? And the first insight that I talked about was waking up from our sleepwalking, is that we have to now come to a realization, and this is the way that Gurdjieff put it, is that we've been dreaming, we've been dreaming that we're awake, but we've been really sleepwalking through life. And what happens is we start to wake up, we realize that the consciousness that we have is just one consciousness of many possibilities. And that a lot of the troubles in that we're experiences is because of the way that that we look at the experience that we're having in our life. And that experience is filtered through our consciousness. So the second part is, is that now there's somebody else speaking somewhere, Tom. Can you mute them? Thanks. When we wake up and start to realize that we've been sleepwalking, we start to now pay attention to how much consciousness are we really bringing to our life. And most of us realize that we're not, that we're like automatons just going through life, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and not bringing a high level of awareness or curiosity to our experience. And so this begins a, an important change in our life where we now start to commit ourselves to living more consciously. And as we do that, we start paying attention to what are the things that are upsetting me in my life. And that leads to the third insight. Is this Ladies and gentlemen, you already know what it is. It's Monday. Again, I'm not going to take my foot off the pedal. So you know I got to start the week off on fire. That was my friend. Dr. Alan Berger is talking about something that uh, he is a master of called emotional sobriety. And before I bring him in here, tonight's topic is going to deal, you know, I think we're going to be able to integrate emotional sobriety and the need for it to be able to abate uh, what this topic is about. Tonight's topic, I refuse the role of being cast as your personal devil. <sighs> An intriguing look at the process of demonizing a significant other after a breakup, right? What are the psychological factors that contribute to the tendency of individuals to demonize their ex-partners after a failed relationship, do we do it all the time? Dr. Berger is going to talk to us about it. How does the process of demonizing an ex-significant other serve as a coping mechanism for some individuals? Are there any evolutionary or biological explanations for the inclination to cast an ex-partner as a personal devil? Why well, I got to be the devil in your story? You didn't do nothing wrong? Hmm? Isn't relationship bi-directional by nature? Isn't it a dyad where, you know, hey, we're in this together, mess and all? 
Oh, Lord, you already know. When we get in here, we're going to cook like the, the like the greatest chefs in history. My brother is on the line right now. I want to bring in my brother, Dr. <laughs> Alan Berger, Ph.D. Talk to us, get ready, Alan. Get, get ready, get ready. <laughs> oh, God, so it's so good. It's so good to hear your voice. I just. I love your excitement. I love your enthusiasm. You know, one of the things I know about you, though, you are not short on passion, brother. You no, got sir. enough passion for this. You got enough passion for this universe, man. You do. You do. Thank you, for brother. This whole universe. Thank you, man. Thank you. So let's get into it. Let's. Why do Why do some couples who you know fall out with each other? Why is there a tendency to demonize the other couple or member of the relationship as a villain or, you know, a bad guy? Why is that? Well, you you know, let's start this whole discussion because we got some time so we can really build into this. And I think in a nice way And, and to try to understand consciousness a little bit better, because it really comes down to what kind of a consciousness do we have? And and let's use some of Piaget's work, right? Piaget was a developmental psychologist, and he studied the cognitive development in children. And to do that, he was wonderful. He he came up with all these naturalistic experiments. So so imagine this. So this this five-year-old is sitting there, and there's two beakers the same size, and then one real tall beaker. Now, the two beakers that have the same size have the same amount of liquid in them, all right? They're half-filled, right? Mm -hmm. So the examiner says, or Dr. Piaget would say, do these these two two glasses that have liquid in have the same amount of liquid, or are they different? The child says, quickly, without even thinking about it, they're the same. Why are they the same? Well, they have the same amount. The child even points to the beakers and puts their hand up on the beaker and say, see, they're the same. They're the same level. Now, in front of the child, the examiner picks up one of the beakers and pours it into the taller beaker. Now, of course, because it's a smaller, right, circumference, the, the level of fluid is much higher. Hmm. Now the examiner says to the child, do these two beakers have the same amount of fluid or are they different? You know what the child says, though? What? They're, they're different. This one has more. You see, at that age of development, the child can only focus on one characteristic of the phenomena that they're observing. And what they're focusing on is which one is bigger. Here's another experiment. I, I set out, I've got three graham crackers. You know how they got their split in the middle, right? But three whole graham crackers, I put one in front of the child and two on my side. And I say, have I distributed these graham crackers fairly? child says, no, you have two, I have one. I reach over, I break the child's graham cracker in half. And I say, how about now? child says, thank you, now we have the same. Hmm. (laughs) But I, I I have twice as much. Right. So you see, the child's consciousness can only see reality in the way it can see the reality because of their current cognitive development. Mm -hmm. Now, what we don't get 
is that we, our consciousness is also shaped by our emotional development. So if my consciousness is, let's say, undifferentiated, and we'll, des- we'll describe what that means in a minute, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then I'm going to look at the world by just focusing on one dimension of what's happening. Wow. And if, and if there's a failure, obviously it means that someone did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, combine that in our society with what does our society applaud? Does it applaud failure or success? Success. Well, oh, of course, man. Listen, I, we're, we're, we're obsessed with that being number one, being the, always winning, right? If you, if you lose, you're considered what? A failure. Who wants to be a failure? Mm. So now you take this, this undifferentiated consciousness that's looking at the world in a very linear way, not like you were talking about before. See, a higher level of consciousness does exactly what you do talked about, so mm-hmm. it's bidirectional. Yes. We don't think in terms of A creates B, B creates C. We think of everything operating as a system. Yes. It's all an interplay. I mean, I've heard you talk, you do a wonderful job talking about this in, in, in your books. Mm-hmm. The holographic relationship. I just love it, man. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank but, you. You're but, hitting on something big right here, Doc. Can you go deeper into this? contextual understanding that the conscious mind is able to tap into well so so lynn you know you talked about is do we demonize after the relationship the real problem starts during the relationship Mm. you see if, if you've got this low level of consciousness then you are first of all very much dependent on what the other person's doing for your well-being and if they're not doing what you think they should do, or if they're not following what we call the unenforceable rules, then you look at them as, look, at them. they are failing you. They obviously don't love you. And you make this conclusion that if they loved you, if they really loved you, then they would give you everything you want. They would meet all your needs. Or, or so obviously, or, if or, they're... Or be everything you want, right? There you go. Right on, Zoe. Mm-hmm. Right on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Finish. I'm sorry, Doc. No, but no, but no, it's great that you jump in like that because then what happens when they don't? Obviously, there's something wrong with them. Mm. The last conclusion we would have is that somehow that we're participating in this folly that we're creating. We think of, of course, you know, it's, it's they're doing something wrong. And if they were just different, we'd have a great relationship. I mean, if. if hey, hold I on. Mean, oh. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on. Dr. Allen Berger is in here cooking early. Let me just say, he, he, he talked about this consciousness piece. You guys have heard me talk about it a whole lot over the past year and a half. I call it spiritual immaturity but doc is in here cooking when we come forward more from the voice of reason we on fire tonight you already know my playlist is my co-host i always put songs together that make us think about the topic even more deeply and tonight's topic is a heavy one the demonization of our partners after a tough breakup is something that's quite common The demonization of an ex-partner can indeed be a reflection of unresolved feelings or unresolved conflicts. When a relationship ends, 
it is not uncommon for individuals to experience a range of emotions such as anger, hurt, betrayal, and disappointment. These emotions can be overwhelming and may lead to a desire to assign blame or vilify the ex-partner as a way to cope with the pain. Now, from a psychological perspective, demonizing an ex-partner can serve as a defense mechanism by painting the ex-partner as an entirely negative or evil person. Individuals may find temporary relief when they do this, when they paint their partner into this bad guy role, right, as a means of being able to deal with feelings of guilt, sadness, or inadequacy. It allows for them to shift the blame onto the other person, absolving themselves of any responsibility for the relationship's failure. My guest tonight, this is my real friend, Dr. Alan Berger, PhD, author of Emotional Sobriety. Get in here, Doc! Hey, hey Zell. God, I, you... The description you just read is so right on, man. I would just sweeten the pot a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I would say that these unresolved feelings are oftentimes a result of a childhood trauma that hasn't been addressed. Mm. You know, so if you got some issues that you haven't worked through, you know, I love the analogy that, that childhood trauma is like being in a car accident that kind of fragments your bones. Mm -hmm. And so you, you may heal up from that accident, but you got these bone chips in your body, right? Mm -hmm. And then through time, they start working their way to the surface of your skin. Mm. Sometimes that might take a couple years. Sometimes it may take 20 years. But what happens in a relationship, a relationship will trigger all of these unresolved childhood traumas that you have. And so when that bone chip breaks through the skin, it tears your skin apart and you are in a tremendous amount of pain. And then because you don't understand and you don't attribute it to the right issue, you say, God, if my partner was different, I wouldn't be feeling this way. Wow. See, they were supposed, they were supposed to make me feel what my parents couldn't make me feel. They were supposed to reverse the trauma of my past and give me the life I've always wanted. So so wait, Doc, then, you're hitting too hard right now. Are you saying there is a latent, unconscious hope and desire that our partner, our significant other, kind of shows up in our life as some type of hero to save you us? You got it. Come on, talk that's to it. me, man. Gonna, well, that's it, Joe. It's good. They're gonna be they're gonna reverse the experience of my past. If I wasn't listened to, they're going to listen to me. If I wasn't seen, they're going to see me. If I wasn't felt, if I didn't feel loved, they're going to love me in the way that I've always wanted to be loved. But no one can heal that. No person can give you that. You know, a relationship just doesn't happen like that. You can create that, but it's got to be something like you said. It's bi-directional. Mm -hmm. You and I both, there has to be a mutual commitment to our mutual benefit. Mm. Which means that when we when when it's when we're disappointed, and so this is going to be the other point I want to hit tonight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Disappointment and disillusionment is a natural phase of any romantic relationship. Come on, Doc. It has to happen. It's the res and it doesn't mean something's wrong. It's just a phase. But most people, when they hit this disappointment, they say, "See, 
This is the wrong relationship. I got to find the right one. Mm. Let me find the, the person that's going to love me the right way. That's going to make me feel okay. That's going to make me whole. Mm. Well, good luck. Mm. <laughs> good luck with Doc, that. Doc, you're hurting my heart right that. now. You're hurting my heart. My heart can't take it. <laughs> what you're basically saying is the way our thought process is set up, because for, for the most part, uh, many of us are largely self-unaware. There, there's a gross lack yes. of self-awareness, yeah. right? So yes. what you're That's basically right. telling me is uh, there is no space in relationships for human beings, meaning if humans are inherently flawed, I call us whips, works in progress, because we, <laughs> I like that. You see, because we have all of these stipulations and ideas and constructs and ideological framework to protect us from the wound that we inherited from the home, if, right. if we can't be the hero, while at the same time, the hero normally isn't human either. Right. Except for Batman. That's right. <laughs> Tony Stark's man. <laughs> but, uh, you, do you see? So there's no space for the flawed experience of yeah. humanity. Talk to me about that. Oh, boy. So see that, you know, when you say it's, you know, the book I'm working on right now is called Room Enough for Two. Mm. Emotional Sobriety and Relationships. And what you just said is so I'm going to have to put this in the book. Because of the way you just said it, and I'll attribute it to you because you're brilliant. Thank you. It's what it what it says. What it says. What you just said is there's no room for two people to be human. Mm. And see, this is this is the greatest crime. This is the crime of love, man. Is we don't expect someone to be human. We expect them to be what we think they need to be, or what we think they need to be for us to be okay. Mm. So we, can, we don't see our partners as they are. We see them as we wish they would be. Mm. And how can you have a relationship with that when you, when you aren't in relationship with the person? Mm. You know, when people get together, they don't, they don't really see each other. They think they do, but they don't. Ooh. When you see each other, when, when the disillusionment happens, when the disappointment happens, and if you just happen to be with someone that you can work through this with, that's when you get to, to what we call the I to thou relationship where there's an authentic love man. And if you can get to that, then it's going to move you towards the wholeness that you need it because you're going to be doing the work you need to do to heal yourself. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to my brother, none other than Alan Berger, Ph.D. We are on complete fire tonight. Please understand unresolved conflicts can also contribute to the demonization of an ex-partner. Oh, yeah. When conflicts, we'll when conflicts remain unresolved, individuals may struggle to make sense of what went wrong or find closure. Let me, let me tell you, when we come forward, me and Alan will get to unpacking like only we can. I remember the first time I heard the term emotional sobriety. And it totally scared me because it sounded like something that I didn't know how to do. But I knew in my bones it was something that I craved. My problem wasn't ever substance abuse. That wasn't the issue that I happened to have. My issue was childhood PTSD. And that's what was turning my life upside down in a way where it was very much like being an alcoholic or a drug addict. I was exhausted all the time. I was late to things. I got angry easily. I was sad a lot. And this was back before there was a word for what happens to people 
who were traumatized as kids. I thought it was just me and I was embarrassed and I wasn't too sure that I knew how to change. So the feeling I got from those words, emotional sobriety was like, it was just really powerful and I wanted to have it. In recovery circles for drugs and alcohol, the word sobriety is a really important thing, obviously, but it means more than just not drunk or not high. In the context of substance abuse healing, sober means a person is living in a frame of mind and in an emotional state that is even keel and non-dramatic and that helps prevent relapses. <laughs> the voice of reason is on fire live from KBLA Talk 1580. You know we in the heart of Lamert Park. Tonight's show is on absolute fire. This is hot monkey lava of the hottest degree. We're in here with my good friend Alan Berger, PhD. He is the author of 12 Essential Insights for Emotional Sobriety. Getting your recovery on track, or is it unlocked? My eyes are unstuck. Man. Unstuck. unstuck got it. Got it. Got it. And I got new glasses on. But let me say this, Doc. <laughs> let me say this, Doc. This is big. Listening to the clip and listening to you, are you saying most of us are emotionally intoxicated under the influence? We don't have the ability to self-regulate our emotions, so the emotions are running the insane asylum. Is that what's happening for most? That's it, Joe. That's what's happening, man. Listen, this it's this low-level, this undifferentiated consciousness that we're talking about makes us very much dependent on the environment for being okay. So I need, what I say is it creates an I'm okay if consciousness. I'm okay if you love me the way I want you to love me. I'm okay if, if this happens the way I want it. I'm okay if you read my script and follow it. Mm. See, it's, it's this I'm okay if mentality is so problematic. Because it, what it, first of all, it's, it's coming out of our, our, this idea we have. I call it the big lie that somehow my being okay is going to depend on what's happening to me. Instead of it depending on what what's happening for me, right? Instead of me being able to show up and to be able to have the right kind of relationship with my experience. Mm. And see, this is this is where we've abdicated so much responsibility. We we give so much to the environment. We expect so much from life and so little from ourselves. I'll say that again. We expect so much from life. And we expect so little from ourselves. And it's never going to work like that, man. It's putting a cart before the horse. And you know what's really heavy about what you're saying? You know how I like to do when you talk. I, I reframe it, right? <laughs> yeah, I love how you do that. I love it. I can't wait for it. And, 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 here it comes, folks. Get ready. And, Get ready. And, He's going to do it. Watch, watch, watch. And what you said put me in the mindset of most people are in pursuit of quiet over peace. See, peace, oh, nice. peace yes. is an internal yes. thing that settles everything yes. down. This goes back to yes. Jesus when he says, peace, be still. But most people yeah. are in search of quiet. And quiet is a kind of escapism. This is too much. This is wow. overwhelming. Let me leave. Let me bolt. 
Whereas yeah, peace, peace can turn itself into the eye of the storm when in the storm. So there's a distinction yeah. there because they can regulate, right? They, they don't get intoxicated by the chaotic emotional environment. Talk to me more about yeah. the process and the distinction between peace and quiet. Well, you, you're, you're putting your finger on it, and the way you're describing it is wonderful. What we say is, is that what, what we get to with emotional sobriety is we learn how to quiet our mind and calm our hearts. Mm. See, that's self-soothing, isn't it? That we learn how to soothe ourselves. Mm-hmm. But look, if I'm dependent on you to be a certain way, then you have to behave that way for me to be okay. If my being okay, see, what I say is emotional sobriety creates an I'm okay even if consciousness. Mm. Now, that those are easy words to say. You know, as you know, I'm going through my own personal crisis right now. I'm struggling with a lot. Mm. I do know that I can be okay even if. Right. It's going to take me some time to get there, mm. you know. I'll, I'll never forget when I first called you up and I said, hey, Zoe, man, I'm really going through a tough time. And you were right there with me, brother, and you said, you know, Alan, sometimes the bullet that misses you hurts as much as the one that hits you. Woo-hoo-hoo! You remember that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, man. I, I took that into meditation for a while, brother. <laughs> I mean, because you're right, man, is, is, is what I was going through as I was waking up as I was coming out of my trance. Mm-hmm. I was seeing that, that what I, the relationship I was in was not giving me what I needed. Mm. You know, all the focus was on, like you said, I was being demonized in that relationship. Mm. And see, this is one of the things that would happen. See, it's a very interesting thing. And and John Gottman, the fellow that did all this study, he did some amazing longitudinal studies on relationships and marriage specifically. Mm -hmm. And what he saw was that when a marriage was going down the tubes, meaning when it was heading for divorce, Mm -hmm. that the partner that's going to divorce you recast everything that you've done negatively. Everything. There is nothing redeeming about you. And I remember when I was going through this in my current situation, that that the way that my ex-wife, soon-to-be, was describing me, I couldn't recognize the man she was talking about. Mm. It was like, did did somebody come in and put a pot under my bed and do a body snatch on me? Mm. I mean, has somebody else been showing up in my life and, and masquerading as Alan Berger? Mm. I, I could not relate to the guy that she was talking about. I didn't see him. But see, she saw me that way. And it, she saw me that way, like you said, because she had to justify her walking out, her leaving. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know. If this is resonating with you, but I do know it is resonating with me. These are the type of discussions that must be had. Uh, A lot of times people don't like difficult discussions in relationships because they believe relationship is the safe haven away from the difficult conversation. But wrong. It should be the actual uh, uh, what is it? The relationship should be a think tank for difficult conversations. Now, of course, you're going to need you're going to need like a framework for how you talk about these things. But again, you're going to get villainized if you don't have that framework. Then you're going to look at unresolved conflicts, right? Unresolved conflicts, they're going to contribute to the demonization if the relationship breaks down. Again, empirical data supports 
the notion that demonizing an ex-partner is often linked to unresolved feelings or conflict. Research has shown that individuals who engage in more negative post-breakup behavior, such as uh, spreading rumors or engaging in character assassination, tend to have higher levels of emotional distress and difficulty moving on. These behaviors are often driven by unresolved emotions, emotions, and a need to regain a sense of control over the situation. What are your thoughts about that, bro? Oh, well, that's it, man. See, it's 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 none of us like to feel that we're out of control and that we're powerless. And so how better to take power than to make the other person wrong? Look, I if if the problem is in you, then then my solution is to leave you. If you're the problem, then then my leaving is going to solve my problem. And you and I know, Zoe, we've been around too long. We know that it never solves the problem. You're going to carry these issues with you into your next relationship. And the same stuff is going to show up over and over again until you hold still and start to deal with it, until you show up for the lesson that's on on the table for you. And that's why you and I have said it many times. I I mean, we did this great uh, double CD set called Love Matters Revealed, right? It was, mm-hmm. It's so wonderful, and everybody that's listened to it just loves it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things we said in this thing is that trouble doesn't mean that something's wrong in your relationship. It's design. That's why I said the disappointment, the disillusionment, it's, it's exactly what's supposed to happen. Because that's your invitation to take this relationship to a whole new level. And <laughs> what we what we say, man, is that you've got to end that. So it's it's almost you've got to end that first relationship and say, you know, that one didn't work. It's time for us to bury that one, and then you got to get working on your second marriage. No, wait a minute. Now, now you're getting deep. Now you're getting way too deep. You're telling me instead of breaking up and and, and going out and finding a new person. You can break up within a relationship and restart a new one from the old one. You mean the phoenix? Like <laughs> the, the yep. phoenix? Oh, you got it, man. The wait. phoenix is rising from the ashes, brother. Oh, wait, it's hold rising on. Rising from the ashes. Lord have mercy. When we come forward, more from the amazing Dr. Allen Berger. You always wrong. Tonight's topic is on fire. I'm in here with my good friend. Dr. Allen Berger, and we are cooking. Can the demonization of an ex-partner be a form of emotional manipulation or control? How does the demonization of uh, an ex-significant other affect the dynamics of co-parenting in cases of shared custody? Oh, God, I got questions. Can forgiveness play a role in reducing the tendency to cast an ex-significant other as a personal devil? I can't be your devil. But we got somebody in here who can talk about why this happens in relationship. My brother, Alan Berger, can you answer some of those questions? I got questions, brother. Well, God, so it's there. This is such a powerful topic, right? Because, look, you know, how many relationships end up in, well, marriages end up in divorce. It's over 60 percent now. Mm hmm. So if, if you're going to be, if, you're, if your relationship is, is staying together, first of all, that doesn't mean it's good. It just means you're together. 
you know, making a relationship, yeah, a healthy relationship takes a heck of a lot of work, mm-hmm. as you and I both know. And, and, and it takes a lot of self-awareness, a lot of self-awareness. There's something that you and I have talked a lot about is that people need to really, really cultivate, you know, their self-awareness. Even if you add 5% to your self-awareness every day, your life would change dramatically. This is where little shifts pay off in big, big, big ways for people's lives. But let's go to the topic. Look, what we're talking about is what happens when people polarize. Talk to me. And polarization is, is when I'm good and you're bad. Polarization is we're right, you're wrong. And look, what do we see, man? Our culture is filled with polarization because of the level of consciousness. When you have a low level of differentiation, then, then if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong. See, that's the craziness that we have that's going on in this whole thing. So there's no, no ability to respect differences at all. Differences are demonized because we want, when you talk about it as a manipulation, if, if I say what you're doing is bad in a relationship, then I am pressuring you to be a good person, which means you will do things the way I want you to do them. Mm. Mm. that is an ultimate manipulation, just like silence-inducing strategies are. When I shut you down and I don't want to listen to you and I ignore you, I'm saying to you, you have to say things the way I want you to for me to validate you. See, and all of these things are what this this one author, I love him, Dr. Uh, Michael Allen Vincent, mm-hmm. or is it Vincent Michael Allen? I'll get his name right in a minute. Mm-hmm. He says, every relationship is involved in intimate terrorism. Ooh. We are always trying to, to control the other person to get them to do what we want, and our tactics are not much different than terrorists. <laughs> Dr. Vincent Michael Allen, I think it is. I'll find out his name before we get off the show. Because it's, it's brilliant. His work is brilliant. So, and, and people think, like for instance, uh, when we talked about childhood trauma earlier, people think childhood trauma has to be Dad is in there throwing pots and mom oh, and dad yeah, are no, fighting. But there's, not the, at all. there's there's layers to it. You you can come from oh, yes. a, a household on the outside that looks normal, that looks that looks happy, but on the inside there could be some avoidance, the uh, there can be some uh some uh, defective attachment styles, sort of or challenging attachment stuff. It could be co- communication issues. It could be a lot of things that are happening that contribute to the actual childhood trauma. People think that that happens. And then they also think uh, that violence, you know, when you said intimate terrorist, that's a type of, you know, domestic violence. But guess what? Yeah. You were just talking about, you know, stonewalling and gaslighting. Oh, yeah. That's right. And uh, that's right. It, it, come on, man. That's right. And, and, and shutting, projecting. And projecting. Come on. Saying, you're selfish. You're selfish when you're the one being selfish. You're gaslighting when you're gaslighting. Mm. I can't trust you when, when I'm saying you can't trust me. See, all of these are ways of keeping the other person off balance so you stay in control of the relationship. Ooh. These are the things. His author, that author's name, by the way, is Michael Vincent Miller. And I want to give it to him in due recognition because it's an outstanding book. It's a bit heavy to, work, to read through because you start seeing things about yourself that make that made me uncomfortable, right? Because I wait. could relate to some of the stuff he's talking about. Wait, but oh. what we say is only only the best in you can see the worst in you. Ooh. I want people to hear that. Only the best. only the best. 
Only the best in you can see the worst in you. Oh and if God. you want to start working, start taking a look at the worst in you because that's the best in you operating. All right, here we go. When we come forward, back to my brother, Dr. Berger. He is on fire. When we come forward, we're going to cover more questions, and we're opening up the phone lines for callers if you want to ask Dr. Berger a question. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica. Getting sober is like, welcome to your fucking feels. <laughs> Anger, doubt, guilt, shame, rage, triggers, anxiety, all of the feels, all of the time. Hi, I'm Kirsten. Welcome back to my subscribers. If you are new here, be sure to hit the subscribe button and the bell so you get notifications of upcoming videos. In this video, I'm going to share with you some tips on how to navigate the emotional roller coaster that is early sobriety. I got sober in September 2009, and back then it felt like I had one really long anxiety attack until I learned how to feel comfortable in my skin, which was a top priority because of how anxious I felt all the time. I can look back now with hindsight and realize that not only was my were my emotions all over the place because I hadn't, I'd been numbing out for years, I was drinking for 17 years, so I hadn't ever learned how to navigate my emotions from a place of emotional resiliency or mastery or anything like that. I just, I felt good, I would drink. I felt bad, I would drink. I was angry, I would drink. Something amazing happened, I would drink. Something crappy happened, I would drink. Any emotion I had, a lot of the time, it was punctuated with alcohol. You feel me? You feel me? So I became highly motivated to learn how to feel comfortable in my skin. I was also kind of unemployable in my first year of recovery. My brain was all over the place. So at six months sober, I went to Mysore, India to do Ashtanga yoga. And while I was there, I found a guru, uh, my friends recommended me, I go to him and so I went to this guy and he taught me how to meditate. He also taught me how to change my relationship with my thoughts and my feelings, which was a game changer. And it still took me a bit of navigating. I got really into practicing the power of now. As an Ladies and gentlemen, the voice of reason back in the building live on KBLA Talk 1580. In the heart of Little Africa, you know it as Lamert Park. We are on complete fire tonight. Tonight's topic is amazing. But before I get back to it, we got callers. People want to talk to my special guest, Dr. Alan Berger, Ph.D., author of, you know what it is. Get his book, please, 12 Essential Insights for Emotional Sobriety, Getting Your Recovery Unstuck. Yes, this is going to be powerful. Before I bring him back in, let me do this. Did you know Black Lives Matter turns 10 years old? Well, the People's Justice Festival, which is going to be held July 15th, 2023, Saturday, 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. in legendary Lamert Park is going to be on fire. We want you guys to come down Saturday, 12 to 6 p.m., July 15th, 2023, in Lamert Park, there will be performances, children's village giveaways, speakers. Uh, there will be a skill share. There will be vendors. Healing justice space. Man, this is going to be dope. I want you guys to go to www.blmgrassroots.org. Support, support, support. Support, support, support. All right, back to my topic. The demonization of a significant other after a breakup. With my special guest, you know him. You better know him now. Dr. David, uh, Dr. Allen Berger. I'm sorry, I was going to say David Allen Greer. I'm thinking of in living color. We on fire tonight, though. <laughs> we are on complete uh, fire. Doc, are you ready to take some callers? I am ready, so let's hear what they have to say. Let me just say this. I'm not 
I'm not ready to take some callers because you said something when we came forward. And now that we've come full circle, I need you to say it one more time. You said an author said something. He said something about the best part of ourselves. Can you? No, s- I, 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 yeah, I said this. This is in my book. I said that only the best in us can see the worst in us. Mm-hmm. Only the best in you can be honest enough to be able to take an honest look at yourself. And look, if you can do that, then you can really begin the process of change. See, people don't change when you try to be someone you're not. Mm. We change. It's paradoxical. You and I have talked a lot about this. So as soon as I own what I'm doing, as soon as I say, you know, I'm a liar, now I'm starting to get honest. As soon as I say I'm not, and now I'm, I'm so powerless, I start to find power. As soon as I say I'm unreasonable, I become reasonable. As soon as I say I'm outrageous, I become less outrageous. Wow. As soon as I say, as soon as I say I want to control everything, I'm starting to let go of control. Mm. Mm. That's how it works, man. And it's opposite. This is counterculture, brother. Wow. This is not what we're taught. This is not what we're taught. Right. Right. This is heavy. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the wisdom of Dr. Alan Berger, Ph.D., Hey, he is turned up tonight like I am. We're talking about the demonization of your significant other after a breakup. And you don't have to listen. You know, your demonization can be passive aggressive, can be subtle, mm-hmm. can be nonchalant, can almost come across as indifferent. Do you know that it happens? Oh, yeah. We've got oh, callers yeah. on the line who want to talk about it. Let's get our callers in. Who's been on the longest? We got Nazarene. No, we got Nzinga from Pensacola, Florida. Get in here, Nzinga. Hey, good evening. Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Hi, Nzinga. Yes, I hear okay. you loud and clear. Hey. Welcome. Hey, 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 Dr. Allen. Hey, Dr. Allen. Okay, so um, one of the questions that you had um, when you posted this, though, was, uh, are there any evolutionary or biological explanations for yeah. making your ex to be a uh, you know a demon? And I found that interesting because I always feel like the world judges people according to twos, according to you know being in a couple or being with someone. So does would it make you? And sometimes that makes people more appealing when they're with someone. And so depending on what I wanted to get your opinion, depending on who's more at fault, I guess, in the breakup, would that make you less appealing to someone else? Because if you think about, like, celebrities and their brand, they could have tried to kill each other, but the relationship is always, it ended amicably, so that way they can protect the brand, protect the evolution, the money, the lineage, the line. So I, I found that that stuck out to me out of everything, so I just wanted your opinion on that. We love the question. Doc, go ahead. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, one of the things that we know, and in, in, in that happens with all of us, is we start out this world by being completely dependent on our environment. Mm-hmm. When you're in your mm-hmm. mother's, you know, you know in, your, in the womb, you, your mother provides you 100% of the support, right? You're on life support. I mean, right? She's, she's taking care of everything. The she's giving you cord. oxygen. Yeah, through the umbilical cord, you're getting oxygen, you're getting nutrients. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, is that as soon as we're born, we take the first step towards now starting to support ourselves. And it happens biologically Mm -hmm. very, very, very naturally. What's the first thing that happens after you're born? You start to breathe for yourself. 
Yeah. Well, you yeah. try to, to open up the airway so you can the breathe, so you can yeah. take the oxygen in. Your lungs open up because mm-hmm. you've got to now, you've got to participate in your environment to get what you need. You've mm-hmm. got to breathe. You've got to inhale the oxygen, exhale the carbon dioxide so that you're oxygenating your blood. And we need that in order to support ourselves. That's our first act of self-support. Now, that goes on and on biologically that unfolds if you have a normal, you know, neurological system that will unfold. At about one year, what happens? About a year old. You learn, you want to walk. You begin to walk. You start to figure out how to walk, right? No. Well, yeah, most of us do. But look, I've never, and I'm I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for this to happen. It's when I say this, there's going to be a caller that comes and say, no, that's, that's, this is what happened to my family. But nobody has to tell us to walk. <laughs> right. You want to do it. You want to. You pull yourself, you crawl, you pull yourself up on the table. You let go, you fall. And you know how many times you're going to fall before you figure it out? A lot. As many as you need to. Mm-hmm. As many as you need to. You don't have the consciousness that I better figure this out. There's no shoulds up here. So you don't have that consciousness that says, okay. I got 20 times. I get to do this 20 times. If I don't have this mastered, after 20, I'm giving up this walk and stuff. It's not for me. Right. I mean, thank God we don't do that because we'd be a, we'd be a species crawling around all the time, right? That's I tried 20 about, times, yeah. and that's it. I'm crawling now for that, life. Now, yeah. that's, that's biological. That happens, that happens according to our, our maturation biologically. Now, emotionally... Being able to support yourself is a much more delicate matter. Wait, it's uh, much more delicate. Wait, wait. Yeah. That, that just that just blew my mind. I got to ask you a question. Stay with us, Nzinga. Stay right there. Are you okay. telling me? Because this is deep. Are you telling me that uh, the crawling piece, right? If yeah. do you think in our society today, because we have so many choices, that being able to choose and being able to choose to quit or do something different. Do you think that has taken precedent over the process? Because whether you stop what you're doing with someone and choose another person, the process is still there. You've just changed the person. So when when you gave me the analogy of, a, a baby is not counting how many times it failed yeah. to walk. It's not even paying attention to any of that. It's, not, it's, it's just going failure, to walk. Every failure gives the, that brain information on what it needs to do to correct so it can figure this thing out. You see, so we don't have that filter that, that, that puts a should on us. Now, what I was saying about mm. it being delicate, though, Zoe, is this is very important. See, now, my ability to support myself depends on what I'm getting in terms of my first relationships and the kind of attachment that's taking place. Mm. See, mm. if that attachment is, is insecure, I'm never going to be able to support myself. If it's chaotic, I'm not going to be able to support myself. We need a se- secure attachment. You know how many people have secure attachments? Tell us. V- very few, man. It's... We don't we don't have that in our culture. We don't we don't we don't promote that. Mm. This is culture that's focused on all the wrong things. It's focused on having, man, not being. It's focused on I am more the more I have. I'm not more the more I have. 
I am more the more I the 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 less I have to tell you the truth. I am more the more I accept that I'm enough. If I'm enough, then I'm okay. You know, between a little and a lot is a is enough, and we don't look for that. No. Mm, mm, mm. And, and Zinga, do, um, do you have another question? May I just say, yeah, I just have two. I just have two things. I don't because what you said about the twenty times. Sometimes with myself personally, if I don't get it perfect the first couple of times, I get a little, yep. you know, upset and bent out of shape. So I feel like there's there never not an expectation for the baby. The baby knows it's going to walk. And in that walking yep. comes the running. And when you know what a baby starts to run, that's to me, that's like real freedom for them. And the last thing I want right to say on. is, um, Dr. Allen, you, when I first started watching Mr. Zoe, I heard you say expectation is resentment on layaway. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. really that's has right. been like very instrumental for me. And he, and that's part of the reason, because I was like, who this man got on his show saying stuff like this? <laughs> I, I, I never heard nothing like this before. <laughs> so I just want to say thank <laughs> you for that piece because I keep it in my front thank pocket. You. And then that put me to watch Mr. Zoe even more. So thank you. And good night, everybody. Nzinga brought Pensacola, Florida in the building. If you want to bring your city in the building, all you got to do is call me at 1-800-920-1580. What my man Alan Berger just broke down is we are a society of intimate quitters. If it doesn't feel <laughs> yeah. right, if it if you don't do what I want you to do, if you don't behave the way I want you to behave, I'm out. But guess what's constant? The process. Yeah. You can you can switch me out, swap me out, but that process going to be sitting on your couch no matter where you go. When we come forward, the voice of reason will keep cooking. Live from Africa Town, a.k.a. Lamert Park, we're here at the legendary KVLA Talk 1580 radio station owned by Tavis Smiley. I, 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 I dare you to find content like this. This is revolutionary. This is a whole different type of talk. I'm not going to let the superficial uh, relationship pablum slide. I'm not going to let the baby food Gerber relationship talk slide. We're going to get deep into the issue because I believe that relationship is a conduit to self-realization, to self-actualization. But I believe that people have uh, focused so much on the societal piece that they don't understand that this thing can take you to the next level of consciousness. And that's how we started this conversation off. Now, we're talking about the demonization of a partner uh, after uh, a breakup. Can the demonization of an ex-partner be a reflection of unresolved feelings or unresolved conflict? Well, you see, the end of a relationship can be an emotionally challenging experience, often leading individuals to resort to demonization as a coping mechanism. However, there are alternative ways to process and cope with the end of a relationship that can foster personal growth, emotional healing, and maintain healthier connections with others. Drawing from psychology and psychology and intimate relationship counseling, let us explore some of these alternative approaches. You have self-reflection, 
And acceptance, this is a big piece. A lot of people don't accept themselves, so of course they're going to reject their partner and demonize them. You have, uh, you, you can also seek support, like the support of my friend who's on the show right now, Dr. Alan Berger. You can seek the support from a, a therapist or a counselor. He can help. Then you got to practice in, empathy and compassion. And many mm -hmm. people think em empathy and compassion is a one-way street. But really, empathy and compassion is bi-directional. And when you're dealing with high conscious individuals and the relationship breaks down, it's very difficult to demonize your partner if you still empathize with them. Yeah. Man, talk to me, man. Get in here. Well, Zoe, listen, what you were talking about, see, see, when we demonize or polarize with the other person is what we're saying is, is that that all of all of all of the things that that I am not. I project onto you because I can't tolerate facing the fact that these are part of my characteristics. So I'm going to attribute them to you. It's, it's, it's a, called a projection. So I project those things that I disown that I cannot stand about myself onto you. Now, if you have what's called a projective fit, let's say you have any insecurity then those things go right into your soul, man. Mm. And you start to, to believe, and you start to believe, you know, right? That what they're saying, if it wasn't for me, we'd have a good relationship. You start to buy it and you go, if it wasn't for me, we'd have a good relationship. So wait. And now, you, you and it now it's two, it's two against nobody. Let me say that. Oof. What happens with projection, it becomes two against nobody. You have joined them in their demonization of you. You have accepted the role that they've cashed you in because of your own insecurities. And now you've got, you've got a one-way ticket to hell, brother. Wow, you called it a projective fit? Fit, yep. Please, just really quickly, just give us a little bit of what a... Well, look, at if, I say, if I say, look, at you're not a good person and there's any doubt in you that you're a good person... You're going to take that on and you're going to feel, oh, my God, if I was different, we'd still be together. They would still love me. Wow. That's not true. See, that's not true. It's not. It has not. What they're doing is what they're doing. It has nothing to do with you. We know that, but it's very hard to hold on to that reality. What people do is because of who they are, not because of who you are. They may blame you. They may try to dump it on you and all that stuff. It has nothing to do with you. The truth of it is, as you said earlier, Joe, if you go to a person and I say to you, let's say I'm in a relationship with a woman and I'm not getting what I need. And I go to her and say, honey, we're in trouble. We need to do something to turn this around. I love you. I care about you. Can you join me in us figuring this out? If we learn how to invite and inspire love instead of demanding it, we've got a much better chance of having a better relationship. I'll say that again. <laughs> we've got to learn how to inspire love, not demand it. And everybody that I see in this world, we start demanding it. And that's the and that's a surefire way to be to end up breaking up. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Alan Berger PhD. He's on fire tonight. We got callers. Let's get them in here. Nazarene X Atlanta, Georgia. Get in here. What up, though, Doctor Allen? Salute to you, man. Y'all, hey, Nazarene. Hey, peace, peace, man. I gotta get that uh, matters aut autograph and all that. But anyway, I don't even really know what to say. I just want to big y'all up and just ask. Uh, in the midst of this, 
just believe that I kind of embrace the idea of being demonized so that I, I can identify my own godhood. Like, I just use it in my strengths. So it's like, for me, I look at if I catch wind of someone so-called ridiculing me, like I'm open to constructive criticism. So I don't know right. if there's a way that if, you, uh, if you're getting to know someone, like how can you maybe approach yeah. it and communicate to your partner like, hey, uh, how do you plan to make yeah. me aware of what you might feel like I'm falling short on? Like what kind of yeah. steps can we yeah. take on the front front end and um, just kind of set the plan field to, to our mutual benefit? Just asking that. Yeah, I, I, lo- I love what you're saying, man. It's right on. Listen, it's, is the spirit of this whole thing is that, you know, look at neither one of us is going to be perfect. That's how it starts. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And if you go to your partner with some humility, instead of demanding that they've got to be different for things to be okay, then you've got a chance to create room enough for two people. That's the heart mm-hmm. of this. If we can create room for two, we got a chance to make this work. But if it's going to be my way or your way, it's not going to work. There's no way and and it can work if it's that if it comes down to that. And that's then where intimate terrorism comes in. Mm-hmm. We try to control the other person to do it our way, thinking that if they do it our way, we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's not the road to okay. That's the road to not okay. Hey, hey and listen, <laughs> Zoe Williams not gonna play with you. I've been that person. This is the way we gotta do it. This is the way we gotta yeah, fix it. Me too. But as I've yeah. grown up, I understand. I've I've always said you can't convince an unwilling ear and you can't convince an unwilling heart. That's right. If, wow, if, Zoe, if, that's, 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 hey, that's the bullet that misses you still hurts, brother. Woo, there it is. Nazarene X, we appreciate, <laughs> appreciate you, man. I appreciate y'all. Thank you. Listen, when Thanks, we come Nazarene. forward, we got more callers. Dr. Berger is on fire. Get in here. Gentlemen, the voice of reason. Very heavy topic tonight, man. We're trying to grow up. We're trying to grow up. Dr. Allen Berger is my guest tonight, and we're really trying to get people to understand, man. Most of us are not in relationship with human beings. We're in relationship with expectations. We're in relationships with ideological constructs, projections, fears. We're in a, we're in relationship with a whole bunch of other stuff. But this show is specifically hell-bent on getting you to be in probably one of the most satisfying relationships you'll ever be in, and that's with another human being. And we're talking about the demonization of our partners after a breakup. In failed relationships, it is not uncommon for individuals to cast their ex-significant others as personal devils. This phenomenon can be attributed to a combination of psychological, emotional, and cognitive factors. While it is important to acknowledge the subjective nature of relationships, it is equally crucial to explore the various reasons behind this tendency. Now, it could be psychological factors. A, uh, emotional hurt and betrayal. Yes, if you hurt your partner, nine times out of ten, they're going to villainize you for that, right? Cognitive dissonance, right? Uh, uh, Self-preservation, right? Uh, Societal and cultural influences, media portrayals, 
uh, opposing viewpoints, uh, emotional healing, empathy and understanding, moving forward, self-reflection, encouraging Indivi- encourage individuals to engage in self-reflection. Now, that's that's hard for a lot of people. A lot of people don't want to look at self. They want to look at the other person. Communication and meditation, seeking professional help. Dr. Berger is ready. Berger, are you ready for more callers? I am ready, Joe. <laughs> Let's go. Who's on the line? Hey, Heru Ali, Battle Creek, Michigan. You know what it is. Battle Creek. Peace and love to the family of nations, honor Zoe, Andy, Arabia, mm-hmm. staff, and the God, Tavis Smiley. And to our special, esteemed, uh, illustrious, uh, <laughs> all the pleasantries, Dr. Alan Berger. Yeah. Honors to you, sir. <laughs> Thank you, my Honors Thank to you, you sir. Friend. Thank Listen. you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I was told by someone that I um why you always talk about your wife in your your marriage and your relationship it's like listen I'm trying to help other folks avoid what the hell I went through respectfully I'm only going to speak the truth so I have two questions when you say consciousness what do you mean and secondly How, because I completely agree that um, the way that we connected is the way that we should um, disconnect, which is with love and respect. But how do you how do you mitigate all those those feelings when 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 they just completely go scorch earth? Yeah. Is that confusing? No, no, no. I understand what you're Cause saying. Because we, we had a, we had we we built uh, uh, an empire over seventeen, twenty one years. It, here we go again. I'm talking about my relationship. Okay, go take ahead. It, take it easy. Let let him answer you, Heru. I know Absolutely. how you do. Let, Absolutely. Give him space. Give him some breath. Absolutely. Because what we're not going to do. What we're not going to do. <laughs> Respectfully. Okay. So, so your first question is, what is consciousness? Think of it as yes, a sir. lens that you're looking at life through, right? It's a lens. If if the lens is 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 out of focus, let's say you 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 haven't gone and gotten your eyes examined for a long time, you know you're looking at the world and it's all fuzzy and stuff because that's the sure. lens. That's what consciousness is. It's a lens that we're looking at. Depending on our mm-hmm. level of emotional development, our lens is going to be very 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 colored. With, with seeing the world in a, in, in a very absolute way, in a black and white way. So we're going to think mm-hmm. that, you know, like Zoe and I talk about, a lot of times a low level of consciousness is a linear consciousness. A causes mm-hmm. B. Well, that's not true. In, in the world, it's all, we're all interrelated and all connected. I mean, it's all connected. I have a hand in your success. You have a hand in mine. It takes yeah. two... two Two hands to sink a ship, not one. You can't do it alone. Now, does that mean, let's say your partner has done something that, that's, that's horrible, like has an affair and, and has been lying to you. Are you responsible for that? No. Were you responsible for maybe not paying attention to and being the best partner you could be and, and ignoring things? Yes, that might be a response, but you're not responsible for what their behavior is. 
You're not responsible for how someone else behaves or feels. You're responsible for how you show up in a relationship. And if we can all do that, then we can start to bring, then there's no need to blame anybody anymore. Now there's just Listen, need to, it, it to just, you know, what it is, right? Heru, Heru. It, Hold it on. is what it is. And I, I got to jump in here. It is what it is. Come on, Zoe. Come on. Uh, go ahead, Heru. I'm, you, sorry. You, I'm sorry, Zoe. I'm sorry, Zoe. No, I just don't want talking over each other because it sounds... Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's all. I'm go sorry. Ahead. I apologize. No worry. But Heru, what is the question? Or the statement? The you question were, was, were about to say something. Yeah, I, I, I've been told that I often call into your show and I talk about my failed marriage, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not to blame. I just want to give credit what credit is due. It's like, listen, she did this and this is the reality. And what the major reality is the parental alienation of my children. Oh, yeah. But let me just say this. Last yeah, to this yeah, day. Yeah, Go so, ahead, bro. So let me just say this too. That hurt you, bro. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. And let me just tell you. You, you could be a hundred percent right about everything that happened. Sure. But that sure. hurt gotta get healed, bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You was... you can't walk another step with that wound in your spirit, bro. Because it will so, color. So how do I let, do let me it, let me just say, bro. Let me just well, say, because yeah. it's going to color your reality, man. It's going to it's, yeah. it's it's like gravity. It's going to bend yeah. space time around it, bro. Okay, I'm listening. Well, can I let, let me try to help him, Zoe? Because I've had to deal with this a lot in my practice. And when one yes, parent tries to turn turn the children against the other one, it's a, it's a horrible situation. And it, it's Absolutely. really, it's, it's, it's terrible and it's very painful for you. What I can say to you is that if you continue to do the things, to be the dad, regardless of what's being said about you, you keep showing up and be the person that you want to be regardless of what she's doing. And don't get into reacting. Don't get into doing, don't, don't play a tit-for-tat game. Don't start throwing her under the bus. If you do this, then as your kids grow older, they're going to see the reality. And I've seen this happen many times. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is where our, our ability to be patient and endure some suffering for a while is going to pay off. Because down the road, they're going to come and they're going to see what she's up to. And then she's going to pay a terrible price for doing this. Yeah. They're going to they're resent her. They're going to hate her for what she's done to you. And they're going to come to you and say, Daddy, I am so sorry that I bought any of that crap. That's what you, if you can hold on to that, man, it can help you get through some very dark nights. And I know those are dark nights for you. Absolutely. I, I completely appreciate you, Zoe, and Dr. Berger, respectfully. Um, I don't want them to resent her. I just want them to have a conversation. Well, you with can't me control that. So I can, but if she so continues I can, it. So I can yeah. do claim hey. over blame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't control claim that. over blame. <laughs> yes, that's what I want. Yeah. I want claim over blame. But l listen to the doc here. He said you yes, can't sir. Yes, sir. control yeah. that. And she, this is a she's made her own bed, man. She's made her own bed. You got to let her lie in it. If she's doing this stuff, Absolutely. That, that's going to happen. So look at. So you can't control them. And look, and you can say you can say things like, "Look, I understand you guys are upset." And for whatever reason, mom, mom felt she had to do that stuff. And it's unfortunate. 
But look, what's important now is you see me who I am, and that's what I really appreciate. That's how you Thank deal you. with that, man. Thank you. I, I really do appreciate that because I don't want any You're of welcome. the listeners and the folks who confronted me said, you always talk about your wife. You always talk. No, listen, this has been my <laughs> my shared experience. And, yeah. and, and get this, two weeks ago, I, I contacted my ex and asked him about the grandbabies that don't know anything about me. I just want to know how they doing because I'm yeah. still in that, that, that space of parental of alienation. It's like, yeah. who doesn't want to know about their lineage? You, you took the away their, their uh, inheritance and my lineage. Wow. Respect to her. Peace and love. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you, Dr. Berger. Hey, man. Peace and love to you, to the family and nation. Heru, you already know, brother. I love you, man. And you know this is your place to love. come in and let it out. Love. Bro. All right? Love. Thank you for the yeah, call. Absolutely. Battle Creek, Michigan Honest. is in the building because of Heru. If you want to bring your city in the building, all you got to do is call us at 1-800-920-1580. Listen, when we come forward, we're going to Austin, Texas, because one of our favorites is on the line. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice of reason. Returns to KBLA Talk 1580. We have a heavy topic going on. We're going to have our final caller in a second. But before we do that, I want to remind you, Black Lives Matter turns 10. And we're having a People's Justice Festival, July 15th, the 20, 2023. Uh, that's Saturday from 12 p.m., 12 noon uh, to 6 p.m. in legendary Los Angeles Lamert park there will be performances children's village giveaways speakers skills share vendors healing justice space i want you guys to go to the website www.blmgrassroots.org please 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 support 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 uh, let's get our final caller in here dr Berger. Uh, this is a very insightful young man. He calls in from time to time. We love his input. I think you might like it too. Reggie, Austin, Texas, get in here. What's up, um, Matt, Dr. Berger, and uh, Zoe? Y'all have given so much tonight. Um, it's hard to, to narrow it down to one question. But um, just in the last hour, you spoke about starting a relationship again in the midst of your relationship. Um, yeah. If you can see your relationship based on your point of view and your experiences, how do you erase all that and start again? Well, you don't erase it, Reggie. It's a good question, and there's no such thing as erasing. We're, we're not etch-a-sketches, right, where you can pick <laughs> us up and shake us and all the lines are gone. Right. That's not how we operate, man. It's It's what we have to do is we have to really, really integrate the knowledge that, that we're gaining from the failure. And see, it's very hard in our society because no one wants to admit that they failed because that means you're, you're somehow less than. I, I don't buy that shit. I'm counterculture, man. I think that when you, admit, when you admit you failed, that you're more than, you're not less than anything, that you're really being, you're really being what, what a human being can be. Is that something that can really grow from any experience whatsoever? If you doubt that, Pick up, pick up Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, and listen to the perspective he had by being in these concentration camps, right? In the concentration mm -hmm. camps, he felt that no matter what the experience was, 
if a person met it with the right attitude, even in the most heinous, you know, horrible, unimaginable situation known to mankind, people were growing spiritually. I mean, think about that. But what they had to do, Reggie, is they had to let go of their expectations about what was supposed to happen and instead see themselves as being challenged by life and that the meaning in their life came from meeting those challenges in the best way they could. When they could wrap their head around that experience, man, they knew what we call as freedom. Wow. That's what freedom is about. It's I'm okay even if. I'm okay even if this Nazi is there and is putting my my wife in the gas chamber with my kids and killing them. Mm. I can be okay if. See, that's, I mean, you know, I cry when I think about that, man. I lost some family in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I mean, it yeah. was a horrible, horrible thing that happened. But that's that's the gift of this stuff for us, man, is that there is a possibility to get to that kind of emotional freedom. Heavy wow. stuff. Hey, Reggie. That's a lot, man. Hey, yeah. we we appreciate you. Thank you for the call, Reggie. Reggie! Appreciate y'all, man. You brought Austin, Texas <laughs> in the building, man. Thank you so much. Wow. Doc. First off, Doc, this is terrestrial radio. You're over here cursing. I know you're passionate. <laughs> but, Doc. Sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that, you guys. It's okay, man. It's okay for now until they catch us. But let me just say. All right. <laughs> Let me just say, this was such a powerful show. And I like to end the show by saying things like this. I don't know anything. I, I start the conversation. It's on you to finish it, right? I tell the listeners, we start the conversation. It's on you to finish it. Mm, but for people right. who want to finish it, by working with Dr. Alan Berger, which I highly suggest and recommend. How do they do that, Doc? Well, look, there's there you can reach me through email. That's the best way because um, I'm I'm quite quite busy nowadays. But mm-hmm. through email, my email is a b p h d my initials a b and then p h d at msn.com. Mm-hmm. Now the other thing the listeners can do is that every Thursday night there's a free workshop on emotional sobriety. So if you send me an email, I'll send you the link to that. It's every Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Mm -hmm. And it's just a remarkable thing. I'm joined by my colleagues. In fact, you've been on that show, Joe. You've been on that that, that workshop. And and now that I'm here, I'm going to be bringing you back, man. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Listen, You've and been, listen, we're still talking about doing a retreat. And let's to put that out there. If you would like to get, spend a weekend with Zoe and I and really dig into some of this stuff, please send in your interest. And Joe, Zoe will keep a track of this. And then we'll, we'll organize a retreat to get together a bunch of people that want to explore themselves and want to become the best they can be. And we'll spend a week trying to, trying to grind together. Man, I appreciate you, good brother. Thank you for taking the time to call in, man. We appreciate you. Dr. Allen Berger, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Now, you already know. I start the conversation. You finish it. Uh, I wanted to start the week off strong. Um, Listen, relationship is a school. And, yes, we have choices. We don't have to stay in a relationship that makes us feel stuck or any of that. But I'm here to tell you, man, the work travels. 
wherever you go. Don't let your options feel like a conduit to freedom. Option doesn't necessarily mean freedom. Sometimes option can be it can uh, equal delusion. And sometimes we delude ourselves by thinking we have all of these options that we minimize the actual work that we're doing, the process that we're in. Listen.